Hi everyone, it's Grace. I recently illustrated the special edition hornbook cover for the Newberry Centennial. The art was so well received that I decide to make a poster of it. The sale of the poster will benefit everylibrary.org, the first and only national political action committee for libraries, which, with all the recent attempted book banning, you know we need. You can purchase the poster through the Eric Carle Museum. The link will be in the show notes. I hope you take a look and buy one or two and help our libraries. Hi, I'm Alvina Ling. And I'm Grace Lin. And we're Book Friends Forever. We're childhood friends that grew up to be a children's book editor and an author and illustrator. Welcome to Book Friends Forever. This is the Chop Suey Supply Chain Update, Publishing News, and Good Things About Getting Older episode. As a reminder, once a month we'll have an odds and ends episode where we cover several topics. And of course, we catch up with each other's lives and share with each other what we're grateful for. And check out our website, bookfriendsforever.com. The website will include more detailed show notes as well as links to the episodes. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy our podcast, please tell a friend about it. And also, please consider joining our Patreon. Yes, we would really, really love to have your support to keep this podcast going. And unfortunately, we again do not have any new patrons to thank. But as always, thank you to all our ongoing patrons. Please look out for our survey soon. We hope to make uh, becoming a patron even more enticing and rewarding for everyone. Yes, but for now, remember, we're asking for just $1 an episode, and you'll get a special notebook with Art by Grace featuring a quote by my mother. If it is to be, it is up to me, while supplies last, as well as access to the Random Questions podcast. And if you are already a patron, uh, please make sure you message me your mailing address on Patreon so I can get you your notebook. I think I've gotten notebooks out to everybody so far, but if I have not sent you yours, please message it on Patreon. Okay. So, Grace, how have you been? Uh, well, I have been extremely hot, and not hot in like a <laughs> sexy <so> way, hot. <laughs> like hot in a temperature way, because <laughs> our air conditioner has been broken all week, and it's been oh, hard. <laughs> it's been really difficult, I have to admit. Like, it's been about, uh, about 80 degrees up here in my studio, um, and so I have not been as productive productive as I wanted to be but um, actually it was not that bad um, because this was actually this past week was actually Hazel's week off of camp Um, she started camp again this week but last week was her week off so um, we spent a lot of time outside the house which was really good we went to the blue we went blueberry picking went to the bookstore we went to the craft store you know so we spent a lot of time outside the house when we could um, and I've been hearing some feedback from my speech at ALA, and it's been really nice to hear that it's really connected with a lot of people. The one thing, though, that was really weird um, is that I read a couple of like write-ups about like everyone's speeches at ALA, and um, in a couple of them they said, and you know, Grace Lynn's speech about the legacy was all about the discrimination she experienced, and um, and. It, it was about that, but 
I guess it, it made me feel a little uncomfortable because I'm like, I hope people realize it was much more than just about that because you know? <laughs> like, right. it wasn't supposed to be like this like and I had a terrible discriminating things happening to me and all, you know like uh, it wasn't supposed to be a speech about that so I hope um, I hope people realize it was much more than those little brief synopsises that some people wrote about so that's all <laughs> <laughs> I think so I mean I, I think that people would I don't know yeah, to me that wasn't the focus of your speech. But anyway. Yeah, but it's interesting. But maybe you, I guess it's hard for people who are writing these synopses to like try to like. Distill it, yeah. Yeah, to like one line and to make it even amongst all the, the speech givers. So. Right. Anyway, how have you been? I know it was your birthday. Happy birthday. Thanks. Yeah, so we are recording this on Monday, July 18th. My birthday was on Saturday, July 16th. Um, and it was a very good birthday, although I also got COVID for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> what a gift. <laughs> I know. So, you know, I think I mentioned last week that I had like, or maybe two weeks ago, like I had a little bit of a sore throat or I don't know, cold symptoms when we took te- the, you know, COVID tests that were negative. And so, you know, I just had lingering symptoms. But the reason why we tested was um, I was planning, we were planning to have a barbecue, a birthday barbecue on the, on my birthday. And, um, you know, I had asked all the guests to take a COVID test the day of that morning. Mm -hmm. But then on Wednesday, I thought, oh, well, I guess I should, we should take a test. Or I I thought I would take a test beforehand, before we bought all the food (laughs) for the Mm -hmm. barbecue. So on Wednesday, I took a test and I was actually really shocked that it was like immediate, you know, like, I mean, like I I put in the, you know, the nose swab and Mm -hmm. immediately... Like, I would say as soon as the, the liquid crept up the the little, whatever it's called, <laughs> that, <laughs> tab <yes>. thing, <laughs> that it, it was aligned. Immediately a line showed up. I'm like, whoa. And I thought, like, it, it was so fast that I thought maybe the test was, like, <laughs> was, faulty. was faulty. So then I took, an, I took a total of three, and uh-huh. all of them were the same. And then Stephen <laughs> took one. And his was also positive. So we're like, okay, <laughs> we both have COVID. And At least you didn't buy the food. <laughs> we didn't buy the food. We got a little nervous because, you know, I don't know if this meant that we did technically have COVID while we're in California, staying with my family. And, you know, we saw my family and my, you know, extended family too, you know, my brothers and their families. And so, you know, I hoped that we didn't inadvertently, you know, spread it to anyone else. Um, they so far are all fine. And they also, except for my older brother's family, um, my younger brother and my parents both have had it. So I'm hoping that, you know, hoping that A, we weren't contagious while there because Mm -hmm. we were testing negative and B, that maybe they're also immune because Mm -hmm. they had it relatively recently. And maybe you got it Maybe you got it on the airplane, on the plane. you know? Yeah, I actually think, because even though I had symptoms last week, um, when I tested, I also actually, another reason why I tested is, like, because all I had was a cough left, but then all of a sudden on Wednesday, it was kind of wheezy, like, a, you know, like how that happens when it's, like, in your lungs or something, and, mm-hmm. and that felt different, and I'm like, that doesn't feel like allergies anymore. Mm-hmm. So that was another reason. And then after we took the test, it's, I, I don't know if it's because it was psychological or... <laughs> or what but of course we both felt sicker like the next day <laughs> so I think it was like partially psychological or maybe we really did get something like we could have had allergies and then also gotten mm-hmm. COVID on the plane 
Because there were definitely people, like, most people weren't wearing masks, and there was this one guy who, like, was kind of hacking and coughing mm. that we, like, walked away from, but, you know, was in yeah. the airport. So, you that's never always, know. That's annoying. Yeah, I don't like that at the airport yeah. where you've got these people who, <laughs> who are like, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, hey, we're still kind of in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, so we had to cancel the barbecue, obviously, but we, um, you know, Stephen had gotten me a karaoke machine for oh, my birthday. Fun. And so it arrived, you know, the day before, and then on my birthday we set it up, and so we had like a little karaoke it was like in the morning <laughs> randomly uh-huh. <laughs> but it was really fun and now you know we have this you know sp- you know karaoke system that is <laughs> is is fun so we it probably wasn't great for our coughs <laughs> to sing <laughs> but that's okay that's a fun then, private karaoke yeah do you know that pie and that was fun oh, too Delicious. nice um i was gonna say do you know that um, Alex still remembers how when like when we were dating, we came to New York City and we went to sing karaoke with you guys. Yes, I remember that. And you <laughs> sang Flash Dance. Yep. <laughs> yep. And he said, we should do that again once um, it's a little safer, COVID safe. Yes. <laughs> but now definitely. we can do it at your house. <laughs> you can. That'll be fun. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good birthday and, you know, it was nice to just have the weekend to relax and, and, and you know, because we both felt really tired, and again, hard to know if it's COVID or just being tired. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you've both. been really busy. Yeah, so it was good to just have a weekend, and I didn't, I was planning to do some work, but then I ended up saying, you know what, I have COVID, and <laughs> <laughs> I need to rest. <laughs> but um, but I haven't had to miss any work, which is good, and I made it through our focus meeting, um, which was on Thursday, or no, actually, a focus meeting was on Wednesday, so I didn't actually text test until after the focus meeting. Ah, but then I I tested right after, and I realized, oh, I just, you know, I'm glad I didn't. I'm I'm kind of glad I didn't know, <laughs> because I think it would have maybe gotten into my head um, uh-huh. a little bit. But anyway, so yes, but that's that was my week, my my week and my birthday. Um, but I'm excited because, you know, to kind of get over with COVID because now um, we can look forward to our Europe trip. And no. Yeah. So it's we're good leaving. timing. It is in a way good timing. So we're, I guess we're leaving for Europe in about three weeks. Wow. So, what? Oh, no, maybe, two weeks. Maybe One, two, three weeks, yes. I mean, not that I want you to have COVID, but maybe it is good that you had this, it's like your body's forcing you to rest because you guys have been really on the run. Like, in terms of yes. travel and everything, so it's true. So it's yeah, good it's for good you to have a little slow down, calm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for our first segment of this chop suey episode, we thought we'd give an update on the supply chain issues that have been plaguing not just publishing, but pretty much every industry right now. Yeah, I haven't really been hearing much about this lately. So okay, give us an update on the publishing side. Yes, so last week our production director, Ruiko, sent out an update to the publishers, um, and it was really thorough, so I thought I'd share some of it with our listeners. And you you haven't really, I guess none of us have really been hearing a lot about it, because it has been a little more manageable, at least in the publishing world lately, but um, we're a little worried about heading into the fall, so Mm. just everyone should be aware that there may be more delays um, this fall. Um, So our overseas printing, which is mostly our four-color books, so our picture books and, and I guess, art books. Um, 
So there was an increase um, in Chinese exports um, during the first three months of 2022, but then in April they kind of dropped again. But then they're going up again <laughs> now. And Wait, increase in terms of price? Increase? No, in sorry. Increase in terms of what how the the quantity of okay. things being produced okay. overseas. Um, but then, I guess on top of the increase of the quantity of things overseas, we're also experiencing a lot of rail delays. So when when we ship from from China, it goes into a port on the west coast. So either California or Vancouver or you know, say mm -hmm. Seattle. Um, so I guess the railway delays is an issue, and we're also having. Uh, seeing an overflow in our warehouse and then in general warehouses across the US um, mm. because you know we, we've been trying to bring in inventory earlier because we've been having delays but then that means that you know things come in like way before they mm. get shipped out again mm -hmm. you know so that's creating some issues um, and then also you know China is having a lot of COVID uh, lockdowns these mm -hmm. days too so that's delaying things um, and then we've been having issues with uh, transporting books into our warehouse, um, even close to Chicago. So I think ship, there's just a lot of uh, supply chain issues with uh, staff shortages in terms of, you know, people driving the trucks and, you know, mm -hmm. loading all of that. Um, and then so we we mainly do use two different printers for our domestic printing. And one of them has been doing really well. Um, but the other one has a lot of labor issues, and they say it's not because of COVID, but because of difficulties replacing several veteran employees who recently retired. Mm. So that's interesting. <clears throat> um, but then the issue that both of them have is with getting binding material. Um, so there's a lot of paper. There's a huge paper, paper shortage, basically. Um, so, you know, with paper, a lot of mills have shut down. Um, and then others have converted their equipment to produce more profitable papers, such as toilet paper, mm. <laughs> for example, which is interesting, <laughs> and paper for packaging. Um, so paper mills have put publishers and printers on allocation, uh, so as, which, you know, I think we're okay, but a lot of smaller publishers. So what's allocation? Printers, like, you know, allotting certain um, publishers with, you know, paper, like you get this amount. I see. Okay. And so some smaller like publishers were not in included. Way. Yeah. And so, you know, they they haven't had a reliable paper source. So mm -hmm. I guess if you're, if you're publishing with a smaller publisher, just be aware of that. Um, and then, you know, we're not really even talking about costs, but, you know, costs have been increased. Um, and then they said the couple other areas of concern for the future is... Um, and this was a little bit gobbledygook for me, but they're currently undergoing contract negotiations between the International Longshore and Warehouse Union and about okay. 70 employers represented by the Pacific Maritime Association. So I guess this contract affects 29 West Coast ports, and uh, we do hope It'll resolve soon, but I guess it did cause some delays the last time um, they were negotiating. Um, but if that happens, that could be an issue. And then, of course, the other areas of concern are both 
rising COVID rates and also there, there's record-breaking heat waves right now, right now in mm. Asia, and I know also Europe, although that doesn't affect printing, but, you know, climate change is concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically that's pushed demand for electricity and air conditioning, speaking of air conditioning, to extreme mm. levels. And this comes after, I guess, um, there was an energy crisis that caused widespread power outages in China. Mm. So there's just, there are a lot of issues to be aware of. Um, So our production departments are basically asking us to try to keep our one color books to our standard trim sizes, try to use standard paper if at all possible, um, make trim sizes more consistent for four color titles, um, you know, try to finalize specs early, get our fi- final files out early, don't be late, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, these are the things we're up against. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for your book, the book that we're working on together, you know, that, that won't be printed until next year, but it's, I'm sure there probably will still be issues. So you <laughs> should just be, be aware of that. Good to know. Well, wait, so is the book that's coming out in February, Once Upon a Book, is that all that should be done? okay because okay. it's it's almost done. I mean, I think okay. I think I just I think I'm 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 reviewing Blues, which is like the final final like right before it prints. Um, so that one should be fine. So we hope sh- we hope yeah. <laughs> and like if there's any problems with that, it will be probably shipping delays. If there's any problems, I yes. Assume. Okay, I, I would say so. And hopefully it won't have shipping delays. <laughs> I know. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. <laughs> All right. So for our next segment, you know, related publishing news, we just thought we'd run down a few bits of random publishing news. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. The first up in publishing news is that Kwame Alexander is presenting a new reality show called America's Next Great Author. Okay. So this is um, from the Publisher Weekly article. Okay. So according to Publishers Weekly... Um, America's Next Great Author takes more than a little inspiration from the American Idol format. The plan is for tryouts to take place in cities across the country with would-be authors delivering their one-minute pitches to industry professionals. The field will be narrowed to six contestants who will participate in a month-long writer's retreat during which they will live together Big Brother style. During the month, the aspiring authors must start a project on the first day and finish it by the last. And it looks like the host of this show will be uh, Newbery-winning author Kwame Alexander. Exciting. So, what do you think? <laughs> um, you know, I you know you you had sent me. I guess Kwame made a little announcement on his on I don't know if it was Instagram, and you you had said, hey, had you heard of this?" And I had not heard of it. Um, you know, I've, I always thought that there could be a reality show made about publishing, but then every time I thought about it, I thought, well, but that might be too boring because, you know, it's it's not like cooking or like Project Runway with mm-hmm. fashion where you can see the, the the things getting created. I felt I feel like with publishing, I mean, I guess it'll just be interesting to see. I, I just don't know exactly how it would work because... Um, I guess you can watch authors <laughs> grapple with, <laughs> I don't know, with writing, and then you can see the judges go around and coach them, I guess. I, I mean, 
I don't I don't really understand the American Idol piece in terms of like will they will the authors you know stand and and perform or I guess read their work and that's how it's being judged yeah yeah I mean to be honest when I ever whenever I thought oh there could be a rally show it usually is when I go to a writer's conference and we do the first page critique because mm-hmm. I thought okay well that's live we use someone usually reads the first page out loud and then we critique it live mm-hmm. um which I I actually I've talked about this before I don't like those <laughs> critiques because it's just a lot of pressure mm-hmm. um but I don't know it, it seems to me that it's very early on like they haven't even shot a pilot yet so it's it's not a sh- I don't it doesn't sound like it's a sure thing yet except I guess for sure they're they're shooting a pilot mm-hmm. but you know like there are pilots shot all the time that don't get picked up so yeah. I guess it was unclear to me if they have yeah I think if it's a if it's a sure thing yeah I really hope that the money is better after the pilot because they say that uh the winner of this pilot will win uh twenty twenty five hundred dollars which is doesn't <laughs> no. seem like a lot <laughs> I mean I have a lot of thoughts about this I've been thinking about it for a while and it's so many mixed feelings, right? Because, um, you know, the concept of this being like this American Idol kind of thing, it seems like they're trying to take writing and, of, and distill it to two things, like having an idea and then churning it out. And, you know, and I know for reality TV shows, you have to have like this time element crunch because that's what makes it exciting, right? But I just feel like for writers, that's kind of unrealistic, Uh-oh. like to create something worthwhile in like a a month or something like that it just feels like I don't know there's something about it that just doesn't feel as respectful to the craft of writing as it should be you know and then there's the whole issue of like of like you have to be charismatic you know like and I think we already have such a problem in our industry about like people having to be charismatic you know like there's an ageism problem there's a beauty problem you know like it's like a I don't know the so it's kind of like are you picked by how well you write or how charismatic you are you know Um, and the thing that I really am worried about is that it's kind of a competition that it kind of pits writers against each other and I'm like oh we are so neurotic already. We really don't need more of that. Like we don't need something that encourages us to, 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 to pit one ourselves against the other, you know, like, because writing is so, it's not like that. I mean, because you can, people read more than one book. And I think that when you do it this way, it seems like only one can win. That's something that I really, really dislike though, you know, I have to admit, though, even with all of these reservations and all of these concerns, I was thinking about it honestly, and I was like, you know, if this was available when I first started, you know, like when I first graduated from Rhode Island School Design and this came out, I have to admit, I would jump at it to be a contestant, (laughs) you know, like, so... I don't know what to say. Like, the, I mean, the, the thing with these reality shows, though, is it, there, even though there is only one like winner in the show, there are multiple winners in life, <laughs> I guess, or in the industry, right? Like American Idol, Jennifer Hudson, famously, I think, was didn't even make the top ten, or I'd actually, I don't remember how far she got, but she didn't get very far. But obviously, she's 
hugely successful and she got her big break on the show and so yeah. and that's happened with a lot of different people both on American Idol and a lot of these other reality shows so maybe it just I, I, I'm sure the intent is more to raise the profile of the industry which yeah. is maybe not a bad thing but I agree I mean there, you know if you're if you're producing a television show then you you're trying to make good television mm-hmm. <laughs> and you need charismatic people to be on the on the TV and you know now now I'm imagining like contestants saying I'm not here to make friends and, yeah. you know <laughs> just or you know insulting or kind of yeah. putting, like maybe we can be make it like the great British bake-off where they're all very supportive of each other yeah and, you know if someone's having writer's block they all <laughs> help each other <laughs> which I think nice. would be nice but the thing is that and I that would be great uh though I think that the problem with baking versus writing a novel and they say novel right like it's not the the world's not America's short story oh no it's America's next great author so maybe but right. do they say novel it says we'll participate start a project so maybe then maybe it's a short story or something like that because I feel like the great British bake-off it's like it's within the realm of possibility that you bake a cake you know like there's a, yeah. a, the project is beginning end in a, in a short amount of time and that still feels respectful to the art of cooking and the art of baking, you know. But um, I feel like to to expect a writer to be like, okay, chop chop. So <laughs> if they asked you to be a judge on a show like this, would you say yes? I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Like like I said, I'd I wouldn't say yes right away. I'd like to see like how it was panning you know like panning yeah. out like if I saw that it was oh it's turning into like the the great British bake-off you know and everyone's really supportive I'd be like oh okay but if it was turning into like uh, survivor <laughs> I'd be like I don't know if that's something I want to be a part of you know <laughs> so yeah totally um anyway it'll be interesting to see how this develops and, and let's see what happens yeah okay other publishing news is that a few new imprints were announced recently. The first is Linda Sue Park's new print, Alita. Yay! Yay, Yay Linda Sue! Um, also, Random House announced a new nonfiction imprint, Bright Matter Books. And earlier this year, Simon & Schuster announced a Sandra Boynton imprint, Boynton Bookworks. So, and I think that, that one is just Sandra Boynton's books. Yeah, it's- yeah, it's really nice to see new imprints being announced. Yeah. Um, and Linda Sue, uh, her imprint, I guess, was supposed to be at HMH, but now it's part of Harper. Is that mm-hmm. right? And yep. you you are contributing to, a, was it the first book that they yeah. acquired? So the very first book, I think, that they acquired and they've been, um, that they've been using as kind of like their um, new flagship book is going to be an anthology with a bunch of different... Um, Asian authors, uh, including I'm, um, I don't I'm I'm afraid to, that I'm gonna mess mess up saying miss somebody. So I'll just say it's gonna have Linda Sue, Aaron and Trotta Kelly, Tracy, Cheese, Christina Suntonovat, Mike Junk. Like it's there's a lot yeah. of really heavy Min Lei. Like a lot of yeah, really you, big you all a lot of you hitters. took a picture together at ALA. Which yeah, is nice. and I think that's gonna be a really great way to kind of. Uh, launch the imprint it's all it's it's a really um fun idea we all wrote a short story um but they're all kind of interconnected and it takes place at an airport and it's like these kind of 
like stories that you can read by itself, but they're also interconnected, uh, and you can see how they kind of connect too, and it's kind of fun. So um, I can't wait till it comes out, and I'm just so happy for Linda Sue. I think uh, it's going. It's so great uh, to see an imprint like this come out. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of HarperCollins, another bit of publishing news is that unionized employees of HarperCollins will be holding a one-day strike this Wednesday, July 20th, so two days from today, but um, the strike will already have happened by the time this episode airs, so our listeners will know if anything exciting happened <laughs> before we do. Um, but according to PW, the union local 2110 of the United Auto Workers represents more than 250 employees in editorial, sales, publicity, design, legal, and marketing. Um, so the union's contract expired at the end of last year and no new agreement has been reached. So the union is looking for higher pay, improved family leave benefits, a greater commitment to diversifying staff, and stronger union protection. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I You know, know I, I just saw this one more thing that uh, we didn't talk about earlier, um, but the publisher that um, publishes Gender Queer, um, Oni Press, they just oh, yeah. they just um, announced that they're having layoffs and there's unpaid labor allegations. I have not read deeply into it. But oh wow, that is that's that's interesting. I interesting. just heard about that too. I know yeah. Callista Media also had. A bunch of layoffs. Um, two people that I know who worked there were laid off. Um, and so I can't that's... help but wonder. It's pro- it, I'm hoping that it's not related at all. But you know, Gender Queer was such a such a groundbreaking book, right? For right for that, and I'm and it's also been attacked quite a bit, um, and try and by people who are trying to ban it. And I'm hoping that um, that did not play into. I'm pretty sure it didn't. Um, Andrea Colvin, who runs our graphic novel, um, or not division, but our net graphic novel line, she used to work there, um, and she was actually the editor for Genderqueer, uh, I think. And um, she she just told me this news today. I hadn't hadn't seen it, but um, it it doesn't sound like it's related to that. I mean, she said, in fact, that they were actually happy that Genderqueer was actually selling really well because of the controversy. Oh, good. Yeah. So... All right, well, that's that's good. That's a relief. I was like, oh, I hope that's not like a signal that these books are going to um, no. be not published as much, you know? Okay, and the last piece of publishing news that I thought I would share is that the Department of Justice's suit to block Penguin Random House's acquisition of Simon & Schuster is set to go on trial on August 1st in the District of Columbia's federal court. Well, I guess that's <laughs> going to be interesting. <laughs> I know. I'm so curious what's going to be happening. I was I was looking at Publishers Lunch and they had like a list of who is on the list of um, witnesses, I guess, for the DOJ versus um, you know, PRH and, you know, there are agents that, you know, we've all heard of and people in publishing. And so I think it'll be interesting. And, you know, this whole sale, I feel like they announced a sale over a year ago. I, That's I, don't, true. I don't actually remember, but it was quite a while ago. And I just feel like if I worked at SNS, I would just, I mean, I, I'm sure it's business as usual, but I feel like you you also must feel a little bit at, in limbo, you know, mm-hmm. 
like I remember talking to Laurent Lynn at the Society of Illustrators um, opening. So that's so it was announced before that. So that was in I guess November. So maybe it was a month before that. So I, I guess it, guess it hasn't been a full year. But um, you know, I think even then he was like, you know, he was he was excited, but I think he just wanted it to be resolved. Yeah. <laughs> so. Anyway, okay, moving on. For our next segment, in honor of my birthday, we thought we'd talk about some good things about getting older. <laughs> <laughs> I know, uh, I think uh, it's tough because, you know, in our society, getting older has always been a negative thing, but I think that we should split the script and yes. talk about the good things about getting older. I mean, um, every time I have a birthday and I start going like, oh, I'm so old, you know, like, uh, and trying and thinking about it as a negative thing, I always uh, remember that quote, um, and I'm not sure who said it, but I remember it very vivid. The quote very vividly is like, "Do not resent getting older; it is not a gift given to everyone," and it always uh, kind of humbles me and right. makes me realize, you know, even these things that maybe I'm uncomfortable with <laughs> uh, they're actually gifts so let's talk about some of the gifts <laughs> <laughs> all right you first all right um, I think the first gift is uh, that I feel like as I get older my uh, FOMO or my fear of missing out is lessening right yeah. for example like just this thing that we're talking about with um, Kwame doing hosting a reality TV show I feel like even like two years ago or even like three years ago, um, I feeling like I was missing out on something because that was something that I don't want to achieve. But now as I'm getting older, I can think to myself, okay, that's really cool for him. And I'm really happy for him. Now, is that, was that something that you would really want to do though? And I'm realizing like, no, I don't think I would want to be a host of a reality no. TV show. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's a really good thing to know and it really like it like kind of like relieves this pressure of like trying to achieve something that I actually don't really want to achieve so um that's one thing that's, that's good. great why don't we go um, back and forth so yeah no I I think that was on my list too is not not as much fear of missing out um and I think I guess in general it's <laughs> it's not giving a a crap about a lot of things to be honest <laughs> um you know like for example my weight um you know and we and we we had that we had um that those episodes about um you know fat phobia and, and health at any size and you know i think we've both been vocal about working on trying not to care so much mm -hmm. about that but you know i feel like you know i'm middle-aged and my body is a middle-aged body and i am grateful for my body and it's a beautiful body and you know at, at whatever weight it is you know i, I just I, I think part of it is also um, not caring as much about what other people think about me. I think, you know, I used to think like, oh, you know, my my relatives or, you know, or that person will think this about me or, and um, I think the older I get, the less I care about any of that. Um, so that's definitely one of mine. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I have the same thing in a different way. I feel like, um, I feel like as I've gotten older, I've been more willing to express my opinions. I mm. think always uh, before I was kind of scared 
to express what I really thought. I mean, I remember very vividly agreeing to opinions that I didn't really believe in, but just because, number one, I wanted the other person to <laughs> to shut up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, number two, because there was a part of me that's like, oh, well, they must know better than I do. You know, like always this kind of idea that like, oh, they must be smarter than me because they know so much and they can talk so much about this, you know, so uh, so they must be right. And then realizing like, wait, do I really believe that? And like, I don't have to just agree with them, you know, like, um, and I can actually have my own opinion and it's okay. (laughs) So uh, that's been something that has um, occurred to me over the last, you know, 15 years or so. And um, I'm, I'm really happy about that. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I, um, I think that, I guess that's related to my next one, which is a it's kind of about, you know, I like getting older and having accomplished as much as I have already so far in my career, um, which I think does just come with, with time. Um, because I, and I think that also makes me more confident. So, you know, we've both talked about imposter syndrome and also talked about whether or not we should use that term anymore. But I I do think that imposter syndrome went away with time and went away with age and experience. And, you know, I feel comfortable (laughs) speaking up in meetings also Mm -hmm. because I'm running the meetings now. Um, (laughs) But I I like that I've, in a way, I feel like, okay, you know, not that I would retire happily. I mean, there are still things I want to accomplish in my career, but I I like that I have accomplished what I have already, and I'm proud of that, and I feel like, okay, whatever I do from now is kind of more icing on the cake. Kind of like your legacy, like you've left a legacy. We both left a legacy already. (laughs) We want to leave more legacy, but it would be okay (laughs) if we didn't. (laughs) Well, you know, um, this is my last one. that I thought was worth sharing. And I think what I appreciate is um, being self-aware, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I feel like in the past, I was really judgmental of people and of other artists and maybe not as nice to people as I could have or should have been or not definitely not as supportive as I could have or should have been. And as the years have gone on, I realized that all of that judgment and all those negative feelings that I had towards them had nothing to do with them and had everything to do with my own insecurity, right? Mm. And um, and that's slowly realizing like, oh, you know, this is not a this is not about them at all. <laughs> and that kind of that self awareness. Um, it's sometimes it's unsettling, but in the end, it's like a hard kind of like cycle to go through. But in the end, it's when when I finally get to the end and be like, oh, okay, it feels so peaceful, you know, to right. uh, to realize like, oh, I mean, I do have regrets because I feel like, oh, I sh- wish I hadn't thought those mean things. But hopefully, most of them were all in my head and they never knew. <laughs> but. Um, but and like realize because when I realize it, then I can let it go, you know, and uh, and that's really a gift. That is a gift. Um, I guess to add on that, you know, we we had this conversation briefly with Allison Morris, who's coming on next, um, and we also have talked about getting older with our friend Libby, who she's seventy, I 
think she just turned 70 last year, um, about getting older. And, you know, I think for her, it wasn't a positive, but I think it can be a positive is that your, your options start narrowing. Mm. And so I can see that as a negative, but it's also in a way, you know, because they say when you have too much choice, you can't choose. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, maybe it's just simplifying. Life life has become a little more simplified Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we have, you know, uh, we're both, we, now we have our partners and we have our career and we have our home and, um, and we, we're, we're kind of more satisfied with a more simple life. I Mm -hmm. think the older you get, um, and, and something Allison said was um, the opportunity to mentor more and kind of help and advise people because mm-hmm. we have so much experience. And that's something that I, I definitely enjoyed about getting older and, and being more experienced is, is the amount of, <laughs> I mean, it might not be wisdom, but the advice and, and help I can give to people just starting in the industry. And, and that's that's a gift of getting older. It is. So, um, pretty good gifts. Yeah. <laughs> yes, maybe we should have this discussion again in 10 years. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and now for our next segment, Allison Morris, Senior Director of Title Selection at First Book, will be recommending to us what we could be reading. <laughs> Welcome, Allison. Hi, thank you so much. It's uh, great to hear your voices and see your faces again. Yay! It's good to see you since, uh, I guess, the last time we all saw each other was ALA. I know, it was. So exciting. I know, it was fantastic, and I had the time of my life. And then uh, I, it feels like, I can't decide if it was months ago or two days ago that we were there. It feels <laughs> right. like a little bit of both. Uh, yeah. Since then, we I went back to the office for a few crazy days, and then... Um, uh, Gareth and I actually drove up to Maine for Ashley Bryan's memorial service. We actually just came back yesterday from our um, travels up for that, um, which was wow. incredible. And I am just so grateful that we had the opportunity to be there and be with other people who cared about Ashley as much as we did. We had a delightful household of authors we were staying with, which made it oh, made it a real treat. So nice. Yeah, yeah. So I should I should give them a shout out. Shout out to Linda Sue Park, Renee Watson, Vonda Michelle Nelson. Um, and Caitlin DeLouis, who is Ashley's editor, longtime editor at Simon & Schuster, um, for being there and sharing so many Ashley stories with us. It meant a whole lot to be able to be there with them. Yeah. Wonderful. And also shout out to Tanya Lee Stone, who first had the idea to rent a house on Great Cranberry, which is one island away from Little Cranberry, but couldn't join us. Tanya, we love you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. So I actually wanted to kick off my recommendations this week with um, a book by Ashley because I oh, talk good. a lot about front list, um, but I, you know, there's so many great backlist books that people don't know or that they sort of know about conceptually but haven't seen. Um, and so I thought I should just give a shout out to Ashley's uh, Credit Scott King winning book, Beautiful Blackbird, mm. um, which is just really a classic of folktale literature for young people now. Um, it's a book that I feel like a lot of folklore, folk tales have gone out of print over the years. I'm glad this one has not. Um, and it is a folk tale that originated from the Isla-speaking people of Zambia. And Ashley, in talking about this book, used to often say that he was motivated to adapt this particular folk tale because as a child, he never heard or saw stories in which black was depicted as a positive. Um, if you think about the sort of 
era in which he was growing up. He passed away at the age of 98. So he was growing up certainly in an era that included a lot of Westerns and black was always bad guys, right? Um, black was usually just in, in most popular culture a negative. And he was really moved by this story from Zambia that was about black being a positive thing. And in this case, it's a story of a bird, a black bird, who is the most beautiful bird in the forest. Um, and the other birds of the forest love him and thinks he's so beautiful and ask them to give him a touch of black so that um, they can all be beautiful like him. Um, and he warns them that true beauty comes from within. Um, but over the course of the book, he does give them each a touch of black. And we see also how the beauty and diversity of color and how black literally as a color helps offset all the colors around it and make them pop. Um, and it's just sort of a wonderful book about how color enhances our world and our experiences of it. And it is very much a book about blackness being a good thing and about the color black being a positive. Um, and through the book, you just see how black does make the world a more beautiful place. Mm, so wonderful. that is, that is a nice. blackbird. Yeah, and I will say that they had one of the other things Gareth and I got to do was stop at the Farnsworth um, Museum in Rockland, Maine, on our way up to Little Cranberry Island, where Ashley used to live. Um, they have a, a really fantastic exhibit up right now of original art by Ashley, um, who just received a major award posthumously by the museum. Um, and they had a craft in that exhibit that is blackbirds, uh, the shape of the blackbird from the book with holes punched in its wings, and then these colorful ribbons you could tie onto your bird to make them look like these rays of color coming out from blackbird, which is a, a motif we see in the picture book. Um, and I wound up making those with our housemates. I, I picked up a bunch of them and I had actually already planned to make shrinky dink pins for everyone, but instead we all made our own blackbird pins and wore them to the memorial service. Oh, um, so nice. if you're looking for a good craft, um, it's a really great, great craft to pair with the book. Um, and also each person's um, blackbird was different because we all picked different ribbon colors and we put them in different orders. And so I, I think it also reinforces this idea of uniqueness and difference in a way that's really great. That's so shout so out. Shout out to the person at the Farnsworth um, or pre-Farnsworth who came up with that um, because I think it's a I think it's a really nice nice project too. Okay, so thinking about books, I was just thinking about how you know um, about Ashley's experiences and the things that happened to him as a child or things he saw that sort of informed the work he did as an adult, and that made me think about another new picture book that I really love or a new picture book that I really love which is Growing an Artist, the story of a landscaper and his son by John Para. Uh, so you all may know John Para as a multi-award winning author, illustrator of many books for young people. Um, and this is a picture book that is very much um, inspired by his own childhood. So it's a semi-autobiographical picture book. Um, and John grew up as the son of a landscape architect. And this is a book in which a kid named Juanito goes out to help his papi as he does his job and um, goes and looks at people's yard, meets with people to understand what they want. And Juanito is there with his sketchbook the whole time drawing and thinking about design. And it's really about how working with nature and being in this creative space and having someone trust his vision helps him sort of grow as an artist. Um, and I just, I think it's a really lovely book about a family and about um, the work that our parents do and how that helps shape we are and who we become. Um, there's also some subtle nods in it also to the lack of regard that we have for people who do creative work and in particular for maybe people of color who do creative work. Um, there is a definite, there's a scene in the book, for example, when Juanito is wished his dad at someone's house and he realizes that it's one of his classmates who lives in that house and that classmate pretends not to see him. 
Hmm. Um, and so I think there's, it's, it's not a, a big moment in the book, um, but it's a moment that I think calls out a lot of opportunity for discussion with kids um, about the ways we treat other people when we are uncomfortable also in situations where class comes to play. Um, so I, I just think it's a really rich book. And of course it has beautiful illustrations. I always love John Parr's um, sort of use of flat color in his art. And I, I just, I think it's a, a book that's rich in terms of the artwork and also very rich in terms of the content. And in the back, you get to see photos of um, John as a teenager and John with his dad. Um, and so it really just has this very personal feel to it. And I think it's a winner. So that is Growing an Artist, the story of a landscaper and his son. That's great. I love John's um, art. I do too. And it's it's also just a really loving family connection that he has with his dad. That's really great to see um, in this book as well. I'm just thinking about other books about kids going to work with their parents and their parents often aren't doing work outside. Um, and this also has a different flavor for that reason. We often see, you know, kids doing office work and that's just not as interesting <laughs> visually. Um, so this has a lot more nature incorporated into the art and the design of the page. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a book about self-esteem and respect and empathy, responsibility, teamwork, um, collaboration, expertise. There's actually a lot in it about running a business. Um, so it'd be great to use if you're doing a course in entrepreneurship. Um, his father is very proud to run his own business and talks about some of the benefits of that as well. So, I mean, it's a short book, but there's a lot there. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason that I just keep thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so once again, that is Growing an Artist by John Para. Uh, another book that is totally different but I keep thinking about uh, is I Must Betray You. Uh, this is the most recent young adult novel by Ruta Sepetis, who you all may know as the author of Salt of the Sea and Between Shades of Grey and these other just really striking historical fiction novels that in many cases introduce us to histories that have been buried or forgotten or that are lesser known, in particular in Eastern Europe. Um, this is her historical thriller about life in communist Romania. And I will admit I knew very, very little about uh, Romania in general, but in particular about this period of time. And it was horrifying to have my eyes open to it, but it was also, I'm, I'm so grateful to know what I know now having read this novel. Um, and then the nonfiction reading that I did afterwards just to sort of better contextualize and understand some of the things that I read. Um, but it starts in Romania in 1989, and the main character is a boy named Christian Florescu, who is living with his family, um, and they are under the reign of Nicolae Ceausescu, and everything they're doing is under heavy surveillance, um, and there is this constant fear that someone is going to turn you in for breaking one of the many rules or infractions that are in place, um, and these are families who are struggling to find any, you know, opportunities to do work or get money or get enough food to feed their families. I mean, they're really living in just really awful conditions. Um, and he winds up being blackmailed by the secret police who want him to become an informer for them. Uh, and ethically, this goes against everything he's believed in. He has a very close relationship in particular with his grandfather, who is extremely anti-Chavchescu and is upset by what's happening and his grandma, grandfather is paying very close attention to the fall of these communist regimes that are happening in other places around Europe. Um, but he is basically backed into a corner and decides that, well, it's okay because he knows what the secret police are up to and so he can basically um, outsmart them and maybe lie to them a bit or lead them down different paths. And one of the most terrifying things in the book is that 
these sections of information um, or accounts that you're getting from Christian about what's happening in his life are interspersed with accounts of the secret police about their meetings with him or their surveillance of him. So you see that he thinks he's outsmarting them and he is not outsmarting them at any at any point, which is terrifying. Um, and just see, you know, just imagining what, it, what it's like if people are reporting on you and observing your every move. Um, and just this awareness of how many people must be in similar or the same situations. Like, how, who do you trust? This whole question of trust becomes very central to the story. Um, it's, a, it's a phenomenal book about citizen spies. It is gripping. Uh, it's terrifying. Uh, and it feels painfully relevant, I have to say. Um, so, yeah, I can't say that it is a book that I recommend reading if you're really stressed out. Um, uh, but I do think it's just a great, I do think it's a, it's a superb book. Um, I actually, and I'm saying reading, I listened to it on audio and the reader was fantastic. Um, so I, I highly recommend, um, listening to this one on audio. It is rich with detail. Um, I cannot imagine how much research that Ruda had to do to write this book, but it must've been, uh, expansive, um, massive, um, as I think has been true for all of her other novels. Um, and if you haven't read any of her books, they really are just um, very human stories, but also with a plot that just keeps you turning the pages. Um, and this is definitely like her other books, one where you're just like, your reaction is just, how the hell did I not know all of this? Hmm. Like how did, I mean, I lived through this time as well. Like how did the world not understand what was happening in this country is a big, a big piece of it. Ceausescu was very good at convincing other leaders of other countries in particular that everything he was doing was on the up and up and that his country was in great shape um and that's not what was true on the ground at all mm. um yeah so i highly highly recommend i must betray you by ruda sapetis on a completely different note <laughs> to lighten things up a bit um today i read uh the forthcoming beginning reader level graphic novel peach and plum here we come oh, by yay. tim mckenna which, Alvina, you didn't edit, did you? I did not edit, but I did okay. love that at Acquisitions. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of young, early chapter book level graphic novels that I'm starting to see emerge, and I will say they're uneven. Um, I thought this one was really entertaining, and it's, it's also noteworthy because it really is for emerging readers. I'm seeing a lot that's billed as beginning readers, but the tax and vocabulary are pretty sophisticated. So they're really more for kids who are becoming more fluent. This is really for kids in the very early stages of beginning to read. Um, and it's in short chapters and stories. And it is sort of the opposite of Ruta Sepetti's novel because it's uncomplicated. <laughs> and it is very easy to see what everyone's feeling and thinking because there's very clear images of their facial expressions. Um, but it is about fruit who live in a town filled with fruit. Um, and Peach and Plum are obviously the stars of the story. And it's got lots of puns. Um, I would say it's a great, um, it's, it's similar a little bit in tone and style uh, to Jarrett Lerner's books, um, which have a huge following in particular among teachers out there and, and the students who they serve. Um, but I just thought it was great. And so it's the first one in a new series and I'm excited about the series. So that is Peach and Plum, Here We Come by Tim McKenna. Um, and that book is, I also think if you, if kids read that and then they get a little more sophisticated, a little more sophisticated, a couple steps up from that, um, what it made me think of is the Investigator series by John Patrick Green. Mm -hmm. um, Grace, has Hazel read these books? Do you know this series? Yes, I know the series. Uh, but when we okay. discovered it, she was a little bit too old for them, you know. But yes. she does. Okay. But she does like how um, 
the the pun of alligators and investigators. Yes. You know. Okay. That is, that is exactly what my guess was. She had probably moved beyond this, but in terms of the funniness and the wordplay and the, just the overall goofness and the um, action-packedness of it, I thought of your daughter. Um, so yeah, this is just a goofy, really fun graphic novel series, very punny, um, about two super spy alligators, Mango and Brash. Um, and in the first book, they are trying to get to the bottom of um, the disappearance of a very famous baker named Gustavo Mustachio. Uh, who has disappeared from his bakery, which is called Batter Down. Um, and they travel through sewers and they fight forces of evil. And I really enjoyed the first book. And I have to also give a shout out to uh, Cecilia Cackley, who recently joined my team at First Book from East City Books in um, Washington, D.C. Because apologies to John Patrick Green, but I had not actually read this series when it first came out. Um, and Cecilia was like, I really think you should read it and we should probably carry this at First Book. And she was totally right. Uh, and she has fantastic recommendations. And so shout out to her um, because I'm really happy to have this one on my radar. And I know a lot of kids would find it very, very funny. So if you have kids who are Dogman fans, any of you out there listening, uh, this is a great read-alike series for them. Um, same with Max Meow. It's also a good read-alike for Max Meow fans. So that is the Investigator series by John Patrick Green. Yay. Yay. And those are the five that I thought I would highlight for you this week. Thank you so much. That's, that's a great, nice variety. Yes. <laughs> I try. I try. It's a, sometimes it's hard. I'm like, should I do them all on a theme? But I'm, you know, I don't know what everyone out there is listening for. If you're listening and you like my recommendations but wish I did more X, uh, tweet at me and say that because I always like, first of all, it's, it's nice to know people are listening because it's such a funny thing to record <laughs> this and then have no idea. Um, but yeah, I'm totally open to suggestions. Um, so yeah, give a shout out. Wonderful. So you'll stick around to give your grateful? I would happily do that, yes. Okay, so now we'll end as we always do with what we're grateful for. Um, and I thought I would start this week. Um, so maybe it's odd to say I'm grateful for COVID, but I am grateful that even though Stephen and I both unfortunately got COVID, we, I'm grateful that we both had relatively mild cases, um, pretty much just cold symptoms and just being very tired. And I'm also grateful that we did have it together at the same time. And I'm also grateful that we had it before our trip to Europe um, in August. Ah, so that's true. Yeah. Well, well played. Yes. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it good. also came in time for my birthday, but that's all right. Uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I am grateful for all of that. And I hope that that means we'll be, we'll at least have some protection from COVID um, on our trip to Europe because most, I don't know, so many people I know are getting it in Europe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh. Yeah. yeah. No one wants to have to quarantine in a foreign country. No, not, no, and especially when you're on vacation. So. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, anyway, it's really, this, in some ways, it's good timing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, and it came after our our trips. I mean, we probably got it in California at some point, or we possibly could have gotten it. On the airplane, Like I was at thinking. the tail end of the family reunion or airplane, I'm not sure. But, um, but it didn't really disrupt our vacation and, you know, it didn't disrupt. ALA didn't disrupt the reunion so I mean that's all great <laughs> that's all great especially the part where you guys weren't horribly sick so yeah that's, that's the best that's part that's definitely yeah. the best part yes um how about you Allison what are you grateful for um I guess we're going with the letter c theme here because mine is community mm. um I am grateful for um being at ALA was just a wonderful reminder of how meaningful it is to be in this community of people who care 
um, so much about kids and have so much compassion for kids learning and their exposure to meaningful stories. And uh, it was just so good to be back with everyone. Uh, but also community was really the thing that shone for me and shined, shone for me mm-hmm. in um, the memorial service for Ashley Bryan. Just this sense of people coming together, forming a community, you know, really shaped by our love for this one person. Um, and the community that he had, um, the community of his family, but also the community um, that he lived with on the island of Great Cranberry Island. Uh, it was really very moving to see the extent to which the island came together and um, made food for all of us at the reception. Like Aww. it was literally just finger foods that people on the island had made. Um, and they put together with the family just a beautiful service and um yeah, it was just really so good to be with all of them um, and in a beautiful place. So, yeah, I'm grateful for community. That's wonderful. Oh, Grace, that do you have a C grateful? Um, I do, actually. Well, I mean, Hooray! because I am grateful for, uh, well, it's the second word. It's air conditioning. <laughs> we'll take it. So conditioning of air. <laughs> Because um, we finally got our air conditioning fixed uh, today, just like an hour ago. And um, it's just so (laughs) nice to be able to sit comfortably in my studio and in our in our house. Um, I I know that it's kind of like a first world problem, but I guess it's when you don't have it, you realize what a wonderful luxury it is to have. And so I'm really grateful that I have this luxury of air conditioning. (laughs) And also I'm really grateful um, to my husband, Alex, because um, when our air conditioner um, broke down, uh, he really took care of it all. He called the people to come fix it. He organized everything. Um, and I thought it, it's just really nice um, to know that I have a active, responsible partner, you know, because I think um, I was reading this article earlier today about, um, I don't know why I was reading it, but, you know, clickbait. <laughs> so it was like <laughs> about like the biggest thing that married couples complain about in therapy is that like, there's always one person who kind of is responsible for everything and the other person just kind of takes the orders or like, you know, it's like one person is actively responsible and the other person is passively responsible. Um, and how the actively responsible one always feels a lot of resentment, you know? And I was thinking about that and I was thinking like, Oh, I'm really, really grateful that he's, uh, actually an actively responsible partner. And uh, we both have our own things that we take care of. And I'm really grateful for that. That is a nice thing. See, Yay! Your your New Year's resolution of writing down, you should write this down, <laughs> writing down the things that you're grateful for Alex for. Yes, I know. <laughs> that was our Chop Suey Supply Chain Update, Publishing News, and Good Things About Getting Older episode. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to Hachette Audio, Little Brown Books for Young Readers, and Alex at PC Work Studio for producing and editing this podcast. You can find me at Planet Alvina on Twitter and TikTok and at Alvina Ling on Instagram. Allison, where can people find you? I am Allison L. Morris on Twitter and Kid Lit Girl on Instagram. And I'm at Pacey Lynn on Twitter 
and Instagram, and I'm at author Grace Lynn on Facebook and Grace Lynn author on TikTok. We love hearing feedback, so please keep messaging us and tagging us on social media using the hashtag #BookFriendsForever, or send us a message via our website bookfriendsforever.com. You can also see much more detailed show notes there. And if you have any <coughs> suggestions, excuse me, for co- future topics to cover, please let us know. And of course, please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you like this podcast, please tell a friend about it. And also tag Allison if you have anything that you would like her to focus on in future episodes. <laughs> Just yes, thank you. And also, after you do that, join our Patreon because the link is in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alvina Ling. And I'm Grace Lynn. And I'm Allison Morris. Have a great week. And don't forget to read. Bye. Bye. Bye.